Gender. Body acceptance. Abortion. Sex. Racial justice. Feminism. Birth. Parenthood. Stigma. Bodily autonomy. And more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Wadsworth Center, an independent, feminist, nonprofit, comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here are your hosts, Catherine or Kat Chevery. Kat uses she, her pronouns and is our office assistant and community organizer. And Aspen Ruin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hi, I'm Aspen and I use they, them pronouns. And I'm Catherine and I use she, her pronouns. Last year, I began my employment at a feminist health center called Mabel Wadsworth Center. Since then, I've learned a lot about what feminism truly means and how necessary it is to understand and honor intersectional identities. One of the services we provide at Mabel's is gender-affirming hormone therapy. Thus, Mabel's serves a large portion of the local trans community. Trans individuals are some of the most marginalized folks among us, and I believe as an identity, being trans is widely misunderstood. I am fortunate to work directly with Aspen, our client advocate at Mabel's. Um, And in my short time here, they have provided me with invaluable perspectives and patiently shared knowledge with me that I don't think I would be able to encounter in any other job. Today, I will be speaking with them about what it means to be trans, how language used to honor someone's identity is actually very easy to grasp, and how we can, as cis people, be more trans competent in our daily interactions. To clarify, some of the questions I'll be asking, I may already have some insight on after my 11 months of knowing Aspen, but I'm gonna ask for the benefit of our listeners who may be starting from a more rudimentary place. The idea for this episode actually began when Aspen and I were having a genuine conversation, which is really easy to do with them. I think at this point, it may be valuable for me as a cis woman to speak to others directly who might share this identity and cis men listen up too. It's difficult to fathom what it would be like for your gender identity to be scrutinized, ridiculed, or even called into question. However, this is a reality that some people face every day. We as cis people have the privilege to not give this any consideration. I am so grateful I'm about to speak to someone who is a true educator and willing to undertake an endeavor that is a form of emotional labor. I hope that our audience appreciates this too. Aspen, thank you so much for devoting the time to help educate others on these topics. Can I start by asking you about your personal identity as a non-binary individual and what the term non-binary means to you? Of course. And I also just want to take a second to thank you for all of the kind words. Uh, I'll also give a quick little background on, you know, why I'm the person that Kat is interviewing for this, as well as being a member of the trans community. Like Kat mentioned, I do a lot of education on trans issues and, you know, how to be nice to trans people. So I'm coming from not just my personal experience as a trans person, because of course there's no one unified trans experience. It's several trans experiences, but I'm also coming from the background of, you know, really teaching education work meant to honor the huge variety of trans experiences. 
As far as, you know, my personal identity as being non-binary and what the term non-binary means, I'll go into you know, what that term means first, because it can be used a couple of different ways. So I'd say the first way to look at non-binary is as an umbrella term. So basically a term that's meant to cover a lot of different things. Uh, as you can probably guess by just the, the word non-binary, it is meant to describe people who don't identify, who aren't binary genders. Um, so that can include a lot of different identities. Uh, it can include things like agender, it can include things like gender queer, it can include things like bi-gender or gender fluid. Uh, you know, it can function, like I said, really as a wide concept that it's just an adjective to help understand. But on top of being an umbrella term, non-binary also works as an individual identity label. Um, it is an individual identity label I use for myself. I use a couple, which I'll go more into, um, but non-binary is one of them. You know, and I have several friends who are non-binary and use it not just as an umbrella term, but as that personal identifier. Again, you know, the definition there is still really similar. It's someone who doesn't identify within the gender binary. Uh, I know I mentioned that I use some other gender identity labels for myself. Uh, one of those would be gender queer. That is a gender term that, you know, is kind of deliberately hard to pin down with a definition, um, which I think is something particularly interesting about it. And I think it's one that really shows how gender labels are so personal. You know, the way that I define genderqueer for myself may be totally different than how someone else defines genderqueer for themselves, um, because that's just how words work. Right. Thank you for that. Um, I don't know if I, I don't want to interrupt if you're not done with your... No, no, keep going. Um, so you did mention the terms bi-gender and agender. I didn't know if you could possibly just delve a little bit more into like working definitions of those or... Yeah, I'd love to delve into them more. Um, so some terms, even though some of the nuances of how they're defined might vary from person to person, there are some terms that have slightly more concrete definitions just in, you know, how the words are constructed. So agender, for example, that's someone who may not identify with any gender at all. Mm -hmm. uh, that really makes sense with what the word sounds like and how it's spelled. You know, we throw the letter A in front of something to basically say not. So you could have someone who is symptomatic or you could have someone who is asymptomatic, someone who doesn't have symptoms. Um, agender, you know, when you think of, of how we do language is easy to understand when you think of it in that way. Uh, bi-gender, that can look a few different ways. Uh, the most common that people tend to think of with bi-gender is, so bi meaning two, um, you know, 
most often people think of it as someone who identifies both, you know, as a man and both as a woman. That can absolutely be true. And what that looks like can vary from person to person. For some people, it's like, oh yeah, I'm both at the same time. Totally cool. For some people, it might be like, oh, you know, some days I'm feeling more masculine and some days I'm feeling more feminine and by gender describes that really well for me. Well, if you go by that definition, that is also how a lot of gender fluid people would describe themselves. So gender fluid is usually defined more as just someone whose gender is fluid. It sort of moves around and changes sometimes, you know, from a day to day sort of thing. Uh, going back to bi-gender, though, and also including gender fluid, I think it's also important to remember that masculine and feminine, man and woman, are not the be-all, end-all of what gender is. Uh, you know, that tends to be kind of people's first, first understanding, stepping out of a, a binary understanding of gender. Because, you know, we're very much taught that gender is male, masculine, boy, or female, feminine, girl, that these are totally separate concepts from each other, they are unrelated, never the twain shall meet, that sort of deal. So, you know, once people realize like, oh, that's not true, their next step is often, okay, it's like a sliding scale then. You have male, masculine, boy, man, or female, feminine, girl, woman, you know, two ends of like a line. Uh, and that in between would be various levels of androgyny. That's where a lot of people, you know, starting to understand gender not as being a simple binary. That's sort of an understanding and an imagery where people can get stuck. But it really goes further than that. Instead of picturing just a line with masculine at one end and feminine at the other and androgynous in between, which I will also at some point, I'm sure, talk about my feelings about what androgynous really means, I like to picture instead a color wheel. So if you picture a nice color wheel, you know, it's all very gradient colors, we are going to have masculine as pink and feminine as blue. And I'm doing that on purpose and not just, you know, to turn things on their heads for fun. Uh, up until about the 1940s in the U.S., pink was seen as a masculine color and blue was seen as a feminine color. In the 1940s is when their associations with gender just flip-flopped. Um, Prior to them having those color associations anyways, there actually hadn't really been those gendered color associations in our culture. It's actually a whole thing with baby clothes marketing, but that's a conversation for a different day. But it's really funny to me, just as a side note, you know, people will often say, oh, well, he, you know, this infant who doesn't know any words yet, he's such a man's man. He loves blue. And it's like, you only bought him blue things. And obviously from the example I gave about how colors used to be gendered in our culture in the U.S., it's clearly not an inherent thing. It's a thing that we've socially decided on. But so back to the color wheel example. Uh, you know, we've got a color wheel. If we have men as pink 
and women as blue, we've got a lot of different shades of pink and we've got a lot of different shades of blue. And in between them, we have a lot of different shades of purple. But there are way more than just those three colors and the variations of them. We have orange and yellow and green and gray and, you know, a whole spectrum of colors. And when you think of gender with that analogy in mind, it's a lot easier to understand that the human experience of gender isn't just limited to masculine or feminine or some vague concept of androgyny that is in between them. It is much broader than what we're often limited to by our cultural understanding. And speaking of cultural understanding, I think it's really important to talk about how our understanding of gender is so shaped and often limited by by cultural understandings. You know, in our white American culture um, and other races as well, but I'm going to focus on whiteness because that's really how the gender binary was introduced here. Uh, You know, the gender binary is treated as this very, very, very concrete thing that manhood is a very solid unwavering thing and that womanhood is a very solid unwavering thing. And there's this idea that these are things that are biologically encoded in humans and we just know that that's not true. And part of how we know that that's not true is that there are other cultures that do gender differently. I mean, the most simple example is clothing. You know, there are plenty of cultures that have articles of clothing that are considered masculine that more closely resemble what we in the U.S. would call dresses. But going even deeper than that, there are so many cultures across the world and across time that recognize genders that exist outside of the gender binary. I mean, you know, in some cultures that is a third gender, like in India and in Pakistan and in some parts of what we now call South America, but then there are also cultures that have had up to five or six distinct genders with their own roles and rules within the culture. So that's one of the things that's important to take into consideration. This idea of a gender binary being natural and inherent to human existence existence rather, is not only just not true through proof of people like myself who exist, but to try to insist that a gender binary is is inherent to humanity is really an argument of white supremacy because it ignores all of these cultures outside of Western Europe that don't follow those same rules. Wow. I... I like, I feel like I just learned a ton. I like, I really like your analogy of the color wheel too, because I feel like, um, when you just think of like circles, it seems like a more egalitarian symbol. And, 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 and like, I don't know, you think of that, like the line, like, which honestly, until we had just had this conversation, I kind of, in my own mind, I try to like educate people as best I can, um, about gender being a spectrum. But you think of like the line as being kind of like this non-dynamic sort of like bland, like, I don't know, like limiting, it's limiting, but I also, you know, even though I'm trans myself, I wasn't born with this knowledge. This is stuff I've had to learn myself over time. And I remember 
particularly, you know, earlier on in getting my own grasp on understanding the complexities of gender, uh, also viewing it as a line. And that's why I use that example because I totally understand it. Right. And like, I think it's like a tendency of ours to kind of like, when you look at a line, you look, read from right to left. And it's like, I don't know if everyone does this, but I always kind of think of like one end is a little more superior than the other. Like when you, you kind of have that, like project, like an increasing value onto it. But, um, anyway, that was really great. I, there was something else I wanted to ask you, but it's kind of like escaping me right now. Um, but we can move on to my other questions if you're ready. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think this will come, I'll I'll remember it in a second, it'll come back up. But um, I had wondered about like the term transsexual. Um, It does seem to to be a term that has fallen out of use. Would you say that this is no longer correct or respectful terminology? Yeah, so that is a really good example of how language changes. And I'm also going to use this as a second to not just talk about these terms, but to also talk about language in general. You know, language is something that comes up a lot when we're talking about trans people, because the topic of using respectful language is one that comes up a lot. Um, And, you know, I've had some people say things like, that's a made up word. They're all made up. Word is made up. (laughs) Uh, All words are made up. We did not pick them from the word tree. They are not organic. Um, We make up words. That's how language works. Uh, We make up words all the time. My favorite example is using Google as a verb. You know, cat, I can go to you and say, hey, cat, can you Google this for me? And you will understand what I mean. If I were to hop into a time machine and go back, let's say 30 years, and I said that to someone, it would not make sense mm. because, because it didn't serve that function in our language yet. So that's, you know, one thing that I think is really important to keep in mind. Language changes. So that means we're all learning new things all the time, not just in regards to trans people, but in regards to everything. But if we want to talk about in regards to trans people, I will talk about the word transsexual. It is a word that's fallen out of use. And for the most part, it's not really correct or respectful terminology. Um, I think it's important to look at and honor how it exists historically and that when we're looking at historical things we have to not just view it through the lens of now we have to think about it in the context of the time uh one thing that comes up a lot when it comes to the word transsexual is rocky horror picture show because it is a word that is used in that film because at the time that was the accepted language. So I have heard some people say that like, oh, well, I won't watch Rocky Horror Picture Show because it is transphobic because it uses the word transsexual. And it's like, hey, if you don't want to watch a movie, that's fine. I'm not going to make you do anything. But we can't put a current definition for something onto onto a piece of cinema that doesn't, it wasn't made today. If it was made today and they used that language, we would have some problems. And I'm not saying it's perfect, um, but that's just a good example 
that, you know, historically words might have different meanings than what they do today. Because of that, there are also some older trans people who still use that word to describe themselves. Um, I know a handful personally, and they're not hurting anyone by using a term that, you know, was the accepted terminology when they came out. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because of that, they relate to it for themselves differently than if someone were to use it for me. Now, I don't use it for myself. And if someone were to use it for myself, we would have some problems. Um, one of the issues with it is that it's been used in a very pathologizing and very harmful way, um, particularly in medical circles. Um, that's part of why we moved away from it. It's also not necessarily an accurate term. Um, if we're going to get into the nitty gritty of defining words and what words means, transsexual uh, is just not, not necessarily correct. Um, and what's most important is not just correctness, it's feeling. You know, like I mentioned, it's a word that has been used in a really pathologizing way. And because of that, the majority of the trans community is like, hey, this word is harmful. And it is not the job of cis people to say, well, I don't think it's harmful because it's not used for or against you. So your opinion on it, if you're a cis person, doesn't really matter. It's also not the job of cis people to tell trans people, what terminology they can and can't use. I know that's something that I've heard of trans folks running into before. Like I mentioned, I personally know some older trans people who use transsexual for themselves, and I would never correct them because that's not my place to. Um, I would say that definitely the word transgender is fine. It's a good word. I like it. Uh, you've probably noticed that I shorten it to trans most of the time. Um, it's less syllables. <laughs> that's that's all. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was like a, if trans was preferable even to transgender. So no, um, I, I mean, there might be some people out there who have feelings on it that I'm not aware of. Cause like I said, I, I'm not the spokesperson for all trans people, even though I do try to consider everyone in the community as much as I can. Um, but, you know, from my understanding, uh, shortening from transgender to trans is just, it's a simplicity thing. You know what I mean when I say trans? It's much less syllables. And, you know, while, while the word transgender hasn't been super pathologized, it's definitely a more formal, almost medical sounding word than just the word trans. Right. Because the people saying transgender are almost always like people who are not trans themselves, I've noticed. And yeah, I it definitely depends on the context, but I would say that that is true. And it's usually, I mean, sometimes it's someone who's being transphobic. Sometimes it's someone who is just trying to be like very formal and very like, I will be respectful. Um, but yeah. Side note, I had to look it up. I mean, I knew Ballpark. I did not realize Rocky Horror was 45 years old now. I mean, it just... I did not realize it was 45 so, either. Yeah. I'm a bad trans person for not knowing that. No, that's not at all. The Listen, case. all I do is joke about being a bad trans person. <laughs> it's fine. Aspen also likes to joke that they... Um, 
they have a degree in being trans. I do. I have a degree in gender and sexuality studies. (laughs) It feels like cheating to get a degree in being trans when you're trans, but you know, whatever. Hey, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, speaking, okay, really quickly also, I wanted to mention um, Rocky Horror. I'm just kind of hung up on this little uh, topic, but um, they, uh, as we all know, Frankenfurter sings, um, that he's a sweet transvestite. Is that term something I, I, I don't even, th- I honestly forget that that was ever in our lexicon, like as people, like as a country, but like, do you want to like talk about the word transvestite? I would love to talk about the word transvestite. That's another word that we don't really use a lot. Um, I would say that is used in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. even more than transsexual typically. Um, so if we want to look at kind of breaking it down, because a lot of people like when they say vestite, they're like, what does that mean? Um, vestments, clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so transvestite, like the technical definition is someone who does cross-dressing um, because it's a lot of history to get into, but the, you know, people who quote unquote used to cross-dress people who did drag and trans people there was a point where that was more like seen as one community than as separate communities. Um, like I said, that's a lot of history to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's one that, you know, like don't use that for people. That's a term that's typically, um, you know, hurtful. Uh, it's, I mean, I know I've had it used as a slur against me before. Um, but it's something like, yeah, it's, you know, at the time that it was being used in that film, it was being used in a different context. Um, and that really has to be remembered when we watch that. So that doesn't mean we need to like, you know, go beat up Tim Curry. We love Tim Curry. Um, and it also doesn't mean that we start using that word for people. It means that we recognize like where that sits in our history. I think it's also important to point out part of that word being created uh, was because it used to be illegal to quote unquote cross-dress. You could go to jail. Yikes. I did not know. Jail. I mean, we know now that there are straight cis men that enjoy cross-dressing or yeah. I mean, dresses are pretty. So, you know, And also how I like to think of it, I mean, if someone like, if that's how they want to describe themselves, you know, live your truth. But if you are a man and you buy clothes and you own those clothes, those are your clothes. It doesn't matter what section of the store it came from. You bought them. Uh, Like I said, if someone like, if, if they have words that describe themselves and honor themselves, use the words that honor themselves. But I think, you know, people should just be able to wear what they want to. I I think we had a conversation a few weeks ago, actually, where you said, um, when I wear a dress, it is not a woman's dress. It is a non-binary dress. Is that how you, something to Yes, that was me referencing Eddie Izzard. Okay. stand-up comedian, uh, who has a stand-up bit that's very similar to that, you know, talking about how, um, Oh gosh, it was a stand-up set from like the 90s too. I watched it originally in a sociology class in high school and this is definitely part of my trans awakening. But you know, Eddie Azard on stage wearing a dress and saying, you know, people always ask me why I wear women's dresses. 
they're not women's dresses. They're mine. I bought them. Um, which is so true. Like I am a non-binary person, a gender queer person. Um, I occasionally wear dresses and they're my dresses. I bought them. So they are non-binary dresses or gender queer dresses because they're in my closet. <laughs> I'm going to pause really briefly for a Mabel's fast fact with Abby and we'll be right back. Did you know that most sexually transmitted infections are asymptomatic? That is why it's recommended to get tested annually or more often if you have new or multiple partners. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org in our blog, News from Mabel's. As Aspen and I were talking, we realized that this topic is really big and wide ranging. So we've decided to break this up into a multiple part series. We're going to save the rest of this conversation for our next episode. I think that's a great idea. Thanks for chatting with me about gender today, Kat. Thanks for answering all of my questions, Aspen. I'm really looking forward to our next installment of Reproductive Left in our interview with a trans educator. 